All right, I won't, in the interest of time, I won't be super long this morning. But I want to ask you a question. You saw some kids. Did you think, remember you think of your own childhood? And I want the question, did you get a little bit participatory, a little bit interactive this morning, but not crazy? What did you wish for as a kid? Okay, when you were a kid, what did you really wish for? So I, um, I'm old enough and young enough to remember, this is, don't judge me for this, okay? I love G.I. Joes. Who remembers G.I. Joes? Okay, not the big giant ones. My aunt had one of those. I mean like the tiny ones. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I love those. But we didn't have a lot of money growing up. So all the commercials and Saturday morning cartoons, we'd see these G.I. Joe commercials and I always, always, always wanted whatever they would show. And the marketers are brilliant and genius and they'd show these little sets and the G.I. Joes would come in and I wish for those things that I saw on TV. So that's my wish as a kid. What was your wish? I'm gonna give you a couple seconds and you can, if you're brave enough to share with the person beside you, with the cross the aisle, faith, and find someone. Okay, go for it. Talk, share. What was your wish as a kid? Okay, does anybody, anybody share? One or two people just put up their hand, just share. Toboggan. toboggan. A certain kind of toboggan? Flat kind of, oh, like a, like a typical sled. That's what you wanted, okay? Did you ever get it? Nice, awesome. <laughs> that's, not, that's not appropriate or kind. Is Ron willing to share? Did you ever get a pony? <laughs> Did you ever get the, the pony? In your dreams. All right. Okay. Anybody else? One more person? No? Do oh, that's all. <laughs> Do you see who I'm married to? Her dreams are a dog and to live at Green Gables. Like... The, the actual place or the... Oh, man. Oh, man. Oh, boy. Okay. Did that wish come true for you? You have a dog. We don't live at Green Gables. Oh, someone up there. I can't read it. Play sports? Oh, Glenn had to buy an Airstream trailer or a cottage. That's a big one. That's a big dream. Cool. That's awesome. Okay, that's all. Okay. Cool. Okay. Next question, real quick. What does our culture dream of? What's our culture's wish for you? So that's a little bit more abstract. What is our culture saying we should wish for? Security. Security? Healthcare? Money? Stuff? Beauty. Sorry? Beauty. Duty? Beauty. Beauty. 
Beauty, beauty. Sorry, yes, beauty. Peace. In charge of our own destiny. Compromise. Okay. Individualism. These are good. These are good words. Fame. Yes. Okay. Now it's, I was going to land real close to home. What do you wish for right now? Now I'm not. I. I. I you do not need to answer this. I don't. I don't want you to tell me. I don't want you to share with anybody unless you want to. But like we're talking raw honesty here, in the heart of your hearts. What do you actually wish for? You get one wish. What would it be? One thing could come true. Are you want to share? Okay. Okay, interesting. Consideration for those around us. Is that correct? Yes. Energy. You guys are braver than I would be. Okay, hold that. Hold that down in, in, your, in your gut. Uh, because this, this story is, is, is really fascinating. I'm gonna, because it's, it's, I'm going to start, I'm going to read it at the start of it uh, to kind of jump into it. Because it kind of picks off where Chrissy left off with this, the uh, rich young ruler and Jesus talking about divorce and kind of doing some, some, some heavier teaching about stuff. And then they kind of get back on the road. So this is coming from Mark 10, uh, 32. Back on the road, they set out for Jerusalem. Jesus had a head start on them, and they were following, puzzled, and not just a little afraid. But then he took the twelve and began to go over what to expect next. So again, in the, the Gospel of Mark, what's re really important when you're kind of doing an inductive study and you're looking at the narrative of, this, of the scriptures you're, not come, you're trying your best not to come with your own ideas of what the Bible is saying already. That's a really hard thing to do, that you think the Bible is going to say something, and so you kind of impose it onto the text. When you're doing an inductive study, you're kind of like following it along. And it's really important to pause at this point in Mark's gospel, because Mark is actually telling us a story. And the story is leading somewhere. It began somewhere, it's moving somewhere, and now it's leading somewhere. And so I, for a couple weeks, maybe a month now, I've been kind of as I've been telling this story, kind of prepping the shift that Jesus is now not so concerned about his ministry around uh, um, Galilee and Capernaum and all these places. His, now his shift has been inching towards Jerusalem, and now they're actually on the road to go to Jerusalem. That's a major, major shift in Mark's story. And then... This is what I, lo I love about Mark. He began to explain what to expect next. This is Jesus now telling his 12 disciples what's going to happen next. He gives the W5. Who knows what the W5 is? Not the CTV show. But who, what, where, when, why, how sort of thing. Listen, let's just try to see if it stands out to you. Listen to me carefully, Jesus is saying. He, he knows who he's dealing with. They're kind of slow, daft men. Listen to me carefully. As a parent, I say this all the time to my children. Listen to me. Listen to my words. We're on our way up to Jerusalem. We're physically walking to Jerusalem. Can't drive, can't fly, can't take a train. We're going to walk. We're on our way. Our destination is Jerusalem. When we get there, when, 
we get there. The Son of Man will, will be betrayed to the religious leaders and the scholars. They will sentence him to death. Then they will hand him over to the Romans, who will mock and spit on him, give him the third degree, and kill him. After three days, he will rise alive. Okay, so the W5. I wrote a list down because I, I, my memory is, is not great. I don't really think this way. Where? Where are they going? Jerusalem. Jerusalem. This is being explicit. We are moving towards Jerusalem. And when we arrive, in a few days, a few weeks, whatever, so prep, prep your minds, Peter, John, Philip, Andrew, we're going to Jerusalem. When we get there, who, me, Jesus, the Son of Man, and who they, the religious scholars, who they all know that are around, they'll do what? Kill him. Which means they're going to try him. Which means there's going to be a trial. There's going to be a conviction. There's going to be a trial. There's going to be some sort of a jury and a panel. And there's going to be a punishment. And the punishment is going to be death, Jesus says. But it doesn't end there. Then the they, the other part of this story, the Romans will take me. And they're going to beat me. They're going to spit on me. They're going to mock me. And then they're the ones who are actually going to kill me. Why? Because then I'm going to come back alive. This is super, super, super important. Jesus could not be more explicit as to what is going to happen next. He lays it out like a feast of logic and expectation that you should not have any doubt what's going to happen. So, James and John have this great idea. As they're walking on this road, you can just imagine the disciples, I can always imagine the disciples kind of in this like oblong-shaped cluster with some people in the back and some at the front. Jesus is probably always in the front, kind of a couple steps ahead. They're kind of walking, they're murmuring, and I can imagine on this day it's hot, and it's, you know, the dust is kicking up, and, the, and the, the path is narrow, and it's not that great of conditions, and they've got their cloaks over their heads, and their water satchels, and they're taking drinks, and they're just murmuring with each other. Jesus has just finished saying what they should expect, and James and John, the brothers, they kind of scurry forward to find Jesus. And they say, Jesus, rabbi, teacher, and their faces are a little bit smug, and there's some confidence, and there's kind of a twinkle in their eyes. We would love for you to do something for us. You know, Eugene Peterson, <coughs> in the message, he says it like this. He's like, we have something we want you to do for us, James and John. Now, they're, they're kind of saying this in kind of a little bit secret. They don't want the other disciples to hear. They don't want, especially they don't want Peter to hear. They don't want Andrew and Thaddeus to hear. They're, they're like, Jesus on their own. Jesus, we want you to do something for us. And Jesus says, okay, what, what is it? I'll, I'll see what I can do. I'll see what I can do. Now, these, these, these two guys, as long as the other 12, they had seen Jesus do some pretty incredible things. They saw him walk across water, calm the storm. They've eaten his miracle food twice. He's, some of them have seen him raise people from the dead, but they certainly knew that he could do that, heal countless numbers of people, cast out demons, kind of take control over the dark forces. They had seen Jesus do a lot, and they're coming to Jesus and they're saying, we've got a request for you, 
Jesus. And they probably thought that a request was small comparatively to what they've seen, and they probably thought that the request was owed to them. I'll see what I can do, Jesus says. James and John said, they say this. Oh boy, they say, arrange it, Jesus. This is James and John talking to Jesus. John especially, tisk tisk, had just seen Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration talking to God like this. Arrange it so that we will be awarded the highest place of honor in your glory. One at the right, the other at the left. So to understand their request is for them to take what Jesus just said this verbatim explanation of what was about to happen. And James and John are like, actually, Jesus, we'd love for you. Could you do this for us? When you ascend in your glory, when you enter Jerusalem and you're on the throne and you're the king and you're the Messiah and everybody praises you as king, we, Jesus, make it happen that, I'm, that we're on your left and your right in your splendor and your glory of your kingdom. They totally missed what Jesus was saying completely what Jesus was saying. And I can't imagine how Jesus must have felt. But I can imagine him on the road as they're talking and they're walking, I can imagine him just stopping dead. What? Do you have any idea what you're asking? Do you have any idea what you're asking right now? Do you think you can take the cup that I'm about to drink? Do you think that you can be baptized in the way that I'm going to be baptized? Now these, these, these ideas, these illusions, these images that Jesus is using of the cup and baptism, some scholars think it's like, you know, it's the cup of God's wrath. This is, this is a metaphor and analogy that's used all the time in the scriptures of God's wrath being poured over the world. God's judgment that Jesus is about to take God's judgment onto himself. James and John, you think you can, you can handle that? You think you can carry that cup? You can drink from the cup of God's wrath? Do you think you can take the cup of blood that's about to be spilled with my death on the cross? And then Jesus says, do you think you can handle the baptism I'm about to go into? And in some, some traditions of uh, Christianity, I've, I've heard it explained like this, and it's, I mean, it's the most compelling, I don't know how, where you'll land on it, but it's the most compelling thing that I've heard in terms of this kind of uh, story of understanding it. And even with Caesar of Philippi and the gates of, of Hades and the, the keys to death in Hades, that Jesus actually ascends into the lower realms. He's baptized in the waters of death. And he goes down and he goes down and he goes down and he goes down, down to the bottom of eternity to where the first sin was committed. And I was heard, I heard it explained like this, that Jesus actually grabs... Adam and Eve's hands and he breaks their chains from them and the bottom of death and he brings them up and with them all of history and all the people who've ever died and he emerges out of the water resurrected conquering death and Hades Jesus is saying to James and John you want the cup you want the baptism you don't know what you're asking James and John Ever the smart ones? Sure, they said. Why not? 
at this point, I think, ah, oh, wow. It's just the, 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 the juxtaposition between where Jesus is going and where the disciples were. Jesus said, come to think of it. And I can imagine him kind of getting a little bit animated. You will drink the cup I drink, and you will be baptized in my baptism. I think he's foreshadowing. Yeah, you're, you're going to take this. You're going you're gonna to die, and you're going to be baptized in resurrection one time. But as to awarding places of honor, that's not my business. There are other arrangements for that. So this, is, this conversation has now gotten enough, it's gotten animated enough, it's gotten enough, enough kind of ire and, and flurry about the other disciples here, what's going on. Now, could you imagine if you were Peter? Could you imagine seeing Peter? All of that we know about Peter, that here he thinks James and John, these brothers, are asking for Jesus' left and right hand. I don't think Peter would stand for that. And so they charge for the other ten disciples hear what's going on, and they start rushing towards James and John, and a big argument ensues. And I can imagine just, like, you sons of Alphaeus, you worms, you're going to, like, wiggle your way and sneak into Jesus' favor? Like, how dare you? And these, you know, Thaddeus is like this, you know, very zealous kind of conquering kind of guy, and and Thomas, who thinks himself really smart, and Peter, who's very bombastic, all these men are fighting now over who is actually going to be the greatest in God's kingdom. And it gets so heated that Jesus actually has to interrupt them. He has to stop them. He gets into the middle of them to settle it down. And Jesus says this, You've observed how godless rulers throw their weight around. And when people get a little bit of power, how quickly it goes to their heads. Then he says this is a declarative statement, an empathic statement, knowing that they don't understand yet. Knowing that these guys are just daft as all get out. He, he's so compassionate. He says, it's not going to be that way with you. Whoever wants to be great must become a servant. Whoever wants to be first among you must be your slave. This is what the Son of Man has done. He came to serve, not to be served, and then to give away his life in exchange for many who are held hostage. The unexpected kingdom that Jesus is inbreaking that the disciples just could not understand is paradoxical. That as Jesus moves towards Jerusalem, that actually the real power of God is in laying down his power. The real power of the gospel is, is in servitude. It's not in power, it's not in possession, it's not in authority, it's not in conquest. It's actually in open-handedness and servitude. Thank the Lord that Jesus was right that these guys finally eventually got it. But I can't often, I feel like I'm, my prayers are the same way to Jesus. Hey, Jesus, buddy, like, it's me. It's Amos. You know me. You like me. Could you do this for me? Could you arrange this for me? Could you make this happen for me? And Jesus is like, look, the way of the cross, the way of the gospel is open-handed servitude. And if you want to be great, you have to be the least first. And that is the paradoxical nature of the gospel of Jesus.
So I did not mean to set you up if you're wishing for something really selfish like me. It's not a setup. It's a challenge for me personally. And I hope the words of Jesus resonate with your heart this morning. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for your paradoxical, unexpected kingdom. I thank you that it's actually in releasing control and releasing power that we actually find life. I thank you that it's not through conquest or, or, or power grabs that the world would often uh, make us feel that we need to do, that internally we feel like we have to do, that it is our, seems like our nature to think of ourselves first and think of our own kingdoms first, but actually your world, your kingdom is one of servitude. And Jesus, may I pray that I would have the courage myself to walk that through. I pray for our congregation and all those uh, gathered this morning that we would follow you and your example in putting others first before ourselves in this very strange paradoxical life you've called us to live. We thank you for this morning. We thank you for the kids. Again, we thank you for Bob and his, and his witness in the world. And we thank you for this church. And we ask these things in your name. Amen.